Hello, we are the Edgy Futurists. I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm Ben Whitaker. And I'm Stephen Hope. The podcast by educators for educators, the Edgy Futurist Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Edgy Futurist Podcast. And today we are joined by the man, the legend, the godfather of cloud technology in schools, Mr. Mark Allen. Legend, this is going to be a good one. I think you're going to enjoy this one, listeners. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Edgy Futurist or on facebook.com forward slash Edgy Futurist. You can go to the website www.edgyfuturist.com. Um, or email us at edgyfuturist at gmail.com. Yeah, check out our recent interviews, uh, episode number 34 with Jeff Bradbury uh, on managing nine podcasts as well as a full-time role in schools and some great advice around STEM and personal branding. Check out our Vault podcast, um, loads of text tips and tools and all that kind of stuff. Number 11, we had uh, Monica Burns, Easy Ed Tech Podcast. Number 12, Noble Donuts. And number 13, the wonderful Peter Lee from Learning by Questions, www.edgyfuturist.com forward slash podcasts you can check out the edgy futurist blogs articles on such things as artificial intelligence podcasting school transformation independent learning and you can check all of those out at www.edufuturist.com and sign up to the newsletter don't forget guys the newsletter is comes weekly and is absolutely class facts and stats this episode are all about cloud technology considering we've got mark allen on uh mark who started uh transforming schools um and taking them to the cloud in 2006 so uh, let's jump into some facts about cloud technology first on cloud computing is up to 40 times more cost effective for a small and medium business compared to running an in-house it system uh, I think we're starting to see that in schools as well, aren't we? A lot um, that mm. it's 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 more cost effective. To get get rid of the internal servers and move to the cloud. Yeah, I think I'm going to jump in with fact number three. So I'm going to miss two. If it, I don't know if somebody goes back to it, but seventy percent of businesses have reported that they've seen have been able to reinvest funds in their business by using cloud computing technology. I think that needs to be applied to schools. Look at the funding crisis and how we can reinvest um, around that. Yeah, and I think I think it's really interesting as well that one of the stats here is about 60% of the organisations that are out there today that are hiring are preferring to hire professionals who have got cloud expertise so that are used to using cloud tools. So it's, it's not only is it a financial benefit to schools, it's actually good for the students as they're going into the workplace. Yeah, amazing. And uh, yeah, it's it's great. And I know we, we get into this with Mark Allen about how kind of we're, we're taking those servers out of schools, out of businesses, cloud technology, and it's, but they're still somewhere. And um, it's this is a great start that uh, apparently a new cloud server is added for every 600 smartphones that enter the marketplace. It's quite it's quite a weird statistic that actually we we take for granted this this cloud technology that our information is kind of going up to a cloud and I don't know about you <laughs> but in my mind I just think well it's just going up there somewhere it's just in this um <laughs> ethereal place but actually it is stored on some hardware somewhere and there was that thing did you say last year about um uh, was it Microsoft that were submerging servers into the English English channel yeah I don't, was it not into the Ocean. No, I think it was, I the, it was the English Channel. I think, but it, apparently, because it? because it, it's cold down there as well, it serves on uh, saves money on uh, cooling them down. So mad, isn't it? It's mad. But you think you think about like that whole concept around cloud, and and Mark uses this phrase server farms, uh, like literally massive areas of land that's just got servers in it, uh, but we just don't have them on site, so we don't have to manage them. It's, it, it does seem much more cost effective and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, let's get into this. I think it'd be good. 
So today on the podcast, we've got Mark Allen. Since 2006, Mark has helped over 200 schools become future-ready by moving them to the cloud. He works with schools on the three essential strands of technology, pedagogy, and engagement to help them increase productivity, both at the individual and the team level. His work has helped enhance learning for both children and adults and both increase efficiency and save schools a lot of money. Mark's well-respected within the field of educational technology in the UK and beyond. Not only was he one of the first to show schools the benefits of cloud technology, like a lone prophet in the desert, you might say, but he continues to point educators and schools to the future of EdTech and how it will impact learning. Mark is a great friend of the Futurist podcast. You can find his previous interview on our podcast channel. Mark is also a keynote speaker at our annual EdTech conference last year, uh, where he kicked off the day by introducing our guest to the future of cloud technology in schools. You can find him on Twitter at EdInTheCloud. The podcast by educators, for educators, the Edufuturist podcast. Mark, it's fantastic to have you on the podcast again. What have you been up to since we last spoke? I know we were just talking offline that you've been selling camper vans and you're off in a camper van up to Scotland. <laughs> Sounds like you're living the dream. Don't give away the secret, Dan. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to um, turn this dream of uh, mobile work anywhere kind of lifestyle into a reality. So I'm trying to go full uh, digital nomad. Um, I've uh, almost convinced my wife. I, I think we should go away in the van for three years. She thinks <laughs> she thinks be nice, and uh, and so we're just arguing over the details now. We've established the principle. It's just the fine detail. <laughs> three years. Have, have you checked Wi-Fi up there? Have you planning that you have got Wi-Fi? Yeah, I mean, you know. Um, uh, I'm glad of the excuse not to be able to be connected, but um, but it'll be yeah it'll be strange in some of those places to be completely off limits. But you know the idea is that if I want to work in the Arctic Circle at the top of um, Scandinavia or um, in Morocco or whatever, I'll be able to do that. And and um, well, you know I, I don't know if you found this, but I've, I've found when I've tried to work on holiday before that if I get up a couple of hours before the rest of the household, like 11 o'clock in the morning or something, <laughs> um, then, uh, then I can usually get a full day's work done in about an hour, maybe two, <laughs> maybe two. If I've got 12 hours, it will take 12 hours. It just expands to fill the available space. So, uh, I'm just going to be incredibly focused and get all that work done and then the rest of the time um, fixing camper vans probably. It's, it's yeah. interesting what you just said, Mark. You know I, you kind of pioneering cloud technology, uh, making schools connected to the internet, and you just said that you're looking forward to getting off the internet for a bit. Uh, how, do you think is that important? Is that important for students? Is it important yeah, I mean, for teachers? Yeah, we, we, look, we're up against some really, really bright, bright guys with lots of resources in these, um, you know, the online um, leviathans like Google, Facebook, um, and, and the other usual software. And, um, it, you know, it, I don't know if you've read a book called The Hook, which is um, about how to design apps for maximum um, adoption by, by users. And it's about it's about that dopamine drip, you know, about giving people a tiny little reward when they're, they're doing something. So it's a notification or it's a badge or it's a something that, that keeps you thinking, oh, God, you know, the, world, the universe loves me. And, and you, keep, you keep in that app. Yeah. And the hook is all about how you retain um, eyeballs on the screen. And, you know, I don't think we should beat ourselves up if we are all um, uh, all susceptible to this. 
if we're all, you know, sitting around holding the phone, hoping that there's going to be something coming through on it. Um, it, It's not our fault. We're, we're hardwired to respond to certain stimuli. The smart guys that run these companies know that perfectly well. And um, so, yeah, I think it's important that we kind of remember to switch off detox and go off grid um, from time to time and do some real life. I think that I think that's really wise. Uh, but I'm going to bring it back around to the stuff around cloud uh, because we have still got that. We're moving towards uh, cloud technology, and I know you've taken loads of schools that way. Um, mm-hmm. What 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 would you how would you describe it if it, to dummies? What is cloud technology? Well, cloud is just a silly marketing term for somebody <laughs> else's server. All right. I mean, it's just, you know, I would, I would love it. I would love it if this stuff really did live up there in marshmallow clouds, and uh, you know, wouldn't that be great? But yeah, so it's, uh, it's racks of server farms, which in themselves are quite, you know, it's quite an ecological footprint on on running these. Uh, uh, you know, the massive cooling requirement of um, these server farms is 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 not inconsiderable. And I saw some interesting stats recently on the cost of a a, a query. Um, in terms of the processing that's being done, not on your machine, but somewhere else. Anyway, let me answer your question. So somebody else's machine does the work. Um, I'm old enough to remember mainframe computers when we sat in front of dumb terminals and they just showed the results of work that was being done on mainframes elsewhere. And we've kind of gone full circle in the sense that now pretty much everything can be processed elsewhere and then delivered to my my device, whatever that might be, a phone or a, a tablet or a computer, um, in, a, in a web page. Um, so, you know, the, the processing work, the, the result of my query, of my interrogation, of my processing is all done on somebody else's computer at their cost. And, you know, that leads us on to the idea, the, the question of, well, you know, how are they making money out of this? Uh, if you're not you're not paying for the product are you the product all that kind of good stuff but um you know in essence it's a, a, a an efficient use of resources that we're concentrating processing in plants that are done uh, in various locations around the world where it's um, economical to do that and delivering the results to somebody's screen which means they can work pretty much and be connected pretty much from anywhere on any device it's it's an obvious thing to do i mean it's you know it's as obvious as uh, if we're going to burn fossil fuels for cars, we we ought to concentrate that in in power plants rather than doing it in mobile power plants called cars. You know, uh, but it doesn't actually uh, it doesn't actually solve the problem. It just moves it somewhere else. Yeah, uh, come back to that. What was that stat that you were saying about um, the uh, that you that you were going to jump on about? There was a, the cost of of um, uh, performing a query. Yeah, you know it isn't free to do this, and there, there, if we are, if we're doing productive work, um, and the server farms are doing the work for us, and that's great. But you know, so much of the internet is not what you'd call um, is not what you'd call productive work. I uh, I read a lot of science fiction as a kid, and um, you know, we're all geeks. We probably all did that, but. Uh, yeah, I read a lot of science fiction, and I remember um, an Asimov story where he talked about a future world where the libraries of the world were connected on this uh, network, and you know um, it's pretty much uh, sort of predating the internet. And um, 
instantly pharmaceutical companies went out of business because suddenly information was free. All of the knowledge that, that they were uh, monopolizing was suddenly liberated and free and they had no uh, USP anymore, no no reason for existing in many ways. And and so we sort of moved into this utopia where everybody had access to all the information. What that story didn't see is our kind of insatiable demand for low-grade pornography and humorous cat videos. <laughs> yeah. so, um, we've got, as humans, we've got a lot to answer for here because we kind of, we, we are really obsessed with a, a lot of trivia. You, you've seen Wall-E, the film, and, you know, where... Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the guys are floating around in their sort of hover pods with uh, five-gallon tubs of popcorn and soft drinks, and they're being fed pap on a screen in front of them. Wow. You know, an awful lot of we do what we do online kind of falls into that category. So, yeah, got to um, remember that there is a cost to this, and we ought to be trying to move uh, move ourselves forward and do better than just um, – just vegging out with this stuff because you know that's that's not a good way it brings up a lot of interesting questions about authority with on the internet as well um that that vision you you kind of put forward there of all the the world's information being readily available well who says it it's the it's the right information yeah i mean it's i think an essential um, digital skill to be teaching kids is the ability to verify um verify the veracity of information yeah the the, the the skill to be able to triangulate from a, a source that you trust to this new piece of information in order to find out so that's why we've got um you know it's given rise to fact checking uh, websites like um uh, snopes and the rest of them that allow you to have some degree of certainty but uh one Again, we're up against um, people with um, very deep pockets and not always obvious um, um, ambitions here. And, you know, one of the things that concerns me is about the, um, you know, the, the, the way that data is being manipulated to be presented. We've seen it in the political um, political arena, both sides of the Atlantic and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and you've got the situation now where, say, take in, in Myanmar, where, you know, the Rohingya... Um, Muslims who are being persecuted. 95% of people's news in Myanmar is Facebook. And they're getting personalized ads that, that reinforce the, the, the views that are held in that particular echo chamber. Yeah. It leads to bad things. You know, so I, I, I hope that we're moving towards um, a, a second wave of large internet um, um, organizations which will be where the data is more clearly owned by you and you have control of it and where we have more control over the um the origin of uh, of what it is we're looking at but at the moment you know there are yeah don't want to sound too much of a um a clarion of alarm here but there are dark forces delivering making sure that people see the information which serves the um, the ambitions of those um, of those forces do you, do you see a role of bl- for blockchain in that for democratizing yeah that would be great that would be great and um if there were um yeah if there was a way to get away from the sort of um, sexiness of bitcoin which i think is a huge kind of diversion it's kind of it's an application an application of um blockchain but it isn't blockchain and and if we were able to move um uh the ownership of data into some kind of blockchain environment, so we'd have more um, more faith in the uh, the reliability of the information sources. That would be a good thing. But I'm 
not entirely certain that that well, nobody knows what's going to happen, but I think it's entirely possible that large financial institutions will end up kind of having a bit too much sway in the the evolution of blockchain as well. So watch this space, I think. Yeah, I think we went pretty deep there. And I think I think that's one of the things. I think the conversation at this level is brilliant, but I think what I'm seeing in school, and Matt, you've got much more knowledge and, and working with schools and, and, than I ever have done and, and, and maybe ever will do, I think there's that fear thing out there in regards to the cloud and actually this is why we shouldn't do it. But how is your? what are you seeing in terms of the positive light where – why should schools move to this cloud? Why should they use more online delivery or that element or blended if there's so many potential issues out there? Well, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, look, we can't put this back in the box. Um, uh, internet in some form, whichever way it goes, is going to be a huge part of the lives of um, every human being from now on. And, and we need to equip young people with the skills to, to navigate that space safely and to um, to be able to control their digital identities in a way that serves their their development. Um, so, what better place to do that than schools? Uh, if, if you really think that the you know the internet is the the spawn of the devil and you shouldn't touch it, then okay, it is possible to do a, a completely offline education system that wouldn't include the internet. But I think you'd be missing out on a very important factor of modern life, and. Not only that, but as as long as you trust Google's mantra of um, you know do no evil and that um, that they will continue to offer it uh, for free and uninspected by either human beings or algorithms, then that represents as safe as you can get in the online space. I mean, I don't think I put my personal photos. Uh, don't tell Google, but I put my first personal photos in an education account because I can't think of a better place to put them. I've had I've had my photos on hard disks before. That didn't go well, you know. Um, so I can't think of a better place to put this. In terms of then safety, you know, e-safety, safety, and security of stuff, it's as good as it gets in the uh, G Suite for education space. And no doubt the Microsoft equivalent is um, is equally um, equally reliable and, and secure. Yeah, I think I, I totally agree, and I think there's that security. But I think there's a lot of work to be done with. I was talking about from a staff point of view, but also a student point of view. This sixty and, and, and or the first S, as, as Ben calls it. Well, uh, <laughs> um, if you listen to a podcast, you'll, you'll understand that one, man. Yeah. <laughs> but looking at what do we do with our staff first and foremost in terms of uh, fake news. Uh, and digital citizenship and also how can we then empower that onto our students that they're acting responsibly and safe online and also not just trusting the first source that they come across yeah well you know i i hesitate to be too hard on teachers because i think um in most school systems in the developed world they're on a hiding to nothing at the moment they're under-resourced um budgets are tight and they're and whatever they achieve this whatever miracles they achieve in one year becomes the new normal for next year it becomes like the benchmark so so it's kind of you've got to do better doesn't matter how well you do next year you've got to do better and budgets are shrinking still and uh, so we're we've got this um uh, this situation where they're expected to do loaves and fishes tricks every year year on year on year and where what's being measured is in my you know to my eyes looks like stupid stuff um 
we're measuring schools, not not students. We're having league tables that arrange schools by order of whatever Mumsnet thinks is a, um, a an interesting set of criteria. I don't happen to think that many of those things are very important at all. Um, you know, we could get, I could get, I will get pretty radical here. I'm not school that I'm not sure that school achieves much in changing the life chances of young people. I think that. I mean, let me qualify that. I think that a, a kid's chances in life are by and large determined by the income of their parents and the level of their reading at the age they enter school. And I'm not sure how much difference the next 12 or 13 years makes to those life chances. Um, the the report on social mobility, which came out this week from the government, kind of reinforces that idea that that there's less social mobility than there used to be, that in, income and power are being concentrated in fewer hands. And that's not, I don't think that's a healthy situation. So I, I don't want to be too hard on, on teachers because I think they're being expected to achieve the impossible with all of the responsibility and none of the uh, authority and resources to, to achieve that. Let me put yeah, that back, back on however, you, Mark. <laughs> uh, however, you do you do sometimes feel that you're pushing water uphill when sometimes it feels like you could make a living going around teaching people control C, control V. You know, <laughs> yeah. the level of um, awareness of the modern world and the technology that is available to it is pretty frighteningly low. Can we just yeah. jump back in? Or oh, you know, when you said before about it. I think there's a lot of uh, research to suggest that you write about um, reading age when when students go into school and the the yeah. background uh, that they come from. So, what what would you suggest those school years be about then? Um, I, can I get back to you on that in, in five or <laughs> ten years? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredibly tricky one. I think it, I think it, we. we Look, you know, um, I don't want to get into the stuff versus the, you know, the, the, the uh, content versus skills debate. I think they're both equally important. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to go to a dentist who is googling stuff just before then. <laughs> I don't, I've been to a few doctors that have that have got Google um, up and, before. And you know, if you've if you've ever been stuck at a dinner party with somebody who knows nothing, it's quite hard work. So I'm not, I'm not deriding content. Um, and then, and the acquisition of just stuff, but I do think that we are in a world which requires really radical um, thinking in all kinds of areas. You know, if I look around at, well, you know, just to do a three sixty degree tour of the world as we've got it now, the ecology and climate, uh, politics, and the state of politics, the level of discourse in politics around the world, the um, the the undermining of democracy by, um, you know, by nefarious groups, whether that's Putin or the ultra-right and the the ultra-rich kind of, you know, manipulating Facebook and other tools to their ends. Distribution of wealth is not working. I don't think, you know, capitalism may be the least bad system we've got, but it isn't isn't working very well in terms of distributing wealth evenly. Um, We've got, in many ways, the internet bringing about a kind of a new dark ages where people's fundamentalist views are being reinforced by everything they see online. Yeah. Anti-science, anti-expert feeling abroad, which is not healthy. Um, Modern tech, as we'd said earlier, is kind of the the opiate of the masses now, where 
it is a, a soporific influence rather than being something that that encourages people to think radically about um, new solutions. AI, machine learning, robotics, you know, the, the future of work is is um, very different. Um, and where traditional academic qualifications are perhaps going to be less important than they have been so far. Recruitment companies are using AI hand over fist at the moment. Yep. They've, they've realized that if you've got two candidates for a job, the one with the first class degree, in the subject or the one who shows great bonding and leadership and motivation skills, you know, which one do you go for? So uh, the correct use of AI in order to um, kind of get to know recruits and what their, their potential might be means that traditional academic qualifications can become less and less relevant over time. So all of that, plus the fact that schools are under the caution, they, they have to, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of factories where compliance and conformity are prized, and those aren't the skills that are going to get the next generation to undo some of the mess we're leaving them. Okay, we. Hi. Hi. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no, I think we're, I think we're all to blame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, I would love it if the, the – you saw this with, um, you know, reactions like Damien Hyde's reaction to – um, to the, the suggested abolition of SATs in year six. You know, absolute shock and horror. Like, how could we do that? Or Theresa May's reaction to the uh, kid going out on strike uh, for, um, for ecological reasons. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, I think we need a bit more rebellion in, in our kids. I wish youngers, youngsters were angrier than they are now about things. And um, I do, really. I mean, you know... Uh, um, because passivity and conformity isn't going to fix the problems. Agreed. So, so we need to be creating a space where radical creative thinking can happen, where collaborative work can happen. I mean, and, you know, the cloud is absolutely tailor-made for this. Uh, I'm doing a project at the moment, for instance, where we're, we're, I'm working with a, a really deprived school in Nepal, um, some university students in, 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 um, in Japan, and some sixth form kids in, in um, Nottinghamshire. And um, they're working together. And this is a, uh, what we're attempting to build here is something which is a self-learning uh, entity where we kind of prime the pump and then just watch what they do. And we're using the United Nations um, strategic development goals, uh, sustainable development goals. There are 17 kind of really big, hairy issues that the United Nations has identified. Um, I've kind of developed a, uh, you know, a proto curriculum around those 17 goals, but you just use those as, as the seeds and then watch the kids go off and fire sparks off each other. It's really interesting uh, you say that because I, when I was, when I was uh, teaching religious studies, um, that was one thing that we looked at. Same thing is using that as a model. I really yeah. like that concept. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we couldn't have done that five or 10 years ago. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you know, we could have done it five years ago, but maybe the market wasn't ready for it. Um, certainly today, the the tools are there to, um, you know, we're using we're using Classroom as the kind of delivery mechanism. Google Classroom as the delivery mechanism for a lot of the content. We're using my um, my um, online badging platform um, to kind of reward progress as people are moving through it. But the majority that's those are details. The majority of the work is being done by kids talking to each other. Yeah. And, and getting over, because they don't have the fear that adults 
have the you know they're going to break the internet or that the, someone's going to criticize them for having a daft idea uh you get great stuff happening yeah which you don't when you put a bunch of teachers. Um, you know, I think that's really it's really interesting, and I think I, I wondered. I, I wonder, have you considered um, running for politics for PM, Mike? I would be the worst in the world, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, 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 I've been watching it, and to be honest, it doesn't look like a great job. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, so a, a member of not a member of parliament, but like a cabinet minister for the cloud. <laughs> you know, who knows? You know, like, Joe, is there that kind of remit that where yeah. it will get so big and then they will focus on cloud technology, fintech, all of these different kind of things, but they'll pull it all together, maybe? Yeah. I mean, you know, I have always had a, a kind of a, I get bored easily. So the 10 years that I've been doing this is an absolute record um, for me. Um, <laughs> but you kind of know that when you see articles in the Daily Mail, um, it might be time to move on. And, um, you know, saying the same things that you've been saying, essentially. <laughs> and I knew that I saw the DFE, the DFE strategy um, document that came out a couple of weeks ago, and um, or a few, maybe longer now. Um, and it, you know, it's the same old, same old, but with very little commitment to new expenditure, and where they're effectively going to pass the buck over to larger institutions and even private companies to to do the heavy lifting for them. Um, it kind of misses. The point, I think, I, you know, te- technology for me is a means to an end. It's a lever that we use in order to achieve what we want out of our education systems. It isn't the goal itself. It's only the the tools that we the tool we use in order to get there. So, uh, concentrating on technology, and we're all guilty of that. We all get excited. Um, you know, I know we've all been looking at um, things like dialogue flow and Jamboard and you know these wonderful things and it's easy to get sort of sucked into thinking oh, this is fantastic i need to concentrate on this but it is only a tool and i think um where young kids have an advantage over us is that they're fairly difficult to impress by the the tools themselves they want to know what it can do you know yeah and i think i think that that whole element of the that inqu- inquisitive nature of, of young people is is a real positive in this in this element. I suppose the very fact that uh, information is right at their fingertips and we're focusing heavily on skills and all that kind of stuff as well. It's maybe it isn't as bleak as uh, I don't know. You, maybe you're suggesting anarchy. I don't know. I don't know. Is that is is that where I, I, I really don't know. I just I think that we're kind of focusing on. You know, and the, the current education system was developed for a purpose, which was to get factory workers able to read so they could follow instructions and, and become good citizen workers. Um, well, I think we need something else out of our education system now. And, you know, I tell you what, after getting this um, motorhome, I've, I've started using Facebook for the first time in my life. I've never been a big Facebook user. And... Um, and so now I'm in a, a number of these Facebook groups, um, which are hysterical. I mean, you know, nobody can write, all right? <laughs> nobody knows what an apostrophe is. It's just I fall about laughing at this stuff. Um, and if that is the state of education of the average adult in, in our country, then I want my money back for the taxes I've paid into education over the years because it isn't working. If if, um, only was it how many? What's the percentage of adults who could pass the key stage two sats? 
It was it was ridiculous, wasn't ridiculously it? Ridiculously low. So we're throwing huge amounts of money into an education system where the end product is not that impressive, to be honest. <laughs> In China, they do this differently. They throw money at the bright kids and, and they kind of forget about everybody else. I'm, 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 I am simplifying here, but um, we don't. We go for inclusivity and levelling the field and making sure that everybody's being looked after. They don't understand that at all in China. They say, well, why wouldn't you Why wouldn't you give your brightest kids the best possible resources to go on and achieve everything they possibly can? And maybe, you know, uh, I don't know enough about this to get into this without upsetting all kinds of people. <laughs> but... Um, you know, we, I don't know, we, um, it does seem to me that we, we're attempting the impossible yeah. to get everybody to, uh, you know, the maximum uh, the the potential suggests they can achieve. I wonder if it might not be better for some people to do that um, outside the school system. And in fact, that, you know, look at the Fortune 500 and the top 200 startups in the States large large numbers of those um ceos and founders are are dropouts yeah and i think i think learning is we had a guest on and i won't say who because i don't think they've been um it's not been put live yet but i think they talked about how work now works in terms of employment yeah and the best companies then look at the fact that if you want a break at 11 o'clock you get a break at 11 o'clock you manage your own time you manage your breaks it's yeah. about the impact, not the efficiency. But yet we're creating timetables and schools where students come in, they come in at nine o'clock, they have a break exactly the same time, they learn exactly the same way. Sure, the, the, the cloud technology, but also us thinking differently in terms of everything around education needs to be thought out so that learning is actually personalised to... I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think... Um... The, the idea that we take, um, you know, we take kids in at the age of four and then 14, 15 years later, we spit them out of the end of a conveyor belt where a quarter of them don't even reach the, the required standards. I mean, if that was a company, if you were a factory producing, you know, anything, then you had that kind of failure rate, you'd be out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that time, by the way, we arrange these kids by date of manufacture. So they go along in the same cohort with learning with the, with the you know with the same bunch of kids all the way through. Whereas you know I, I, I've met plenty of eight year olds whose um, enthusiasm for you know Minecraft or Fortnite or whatever the current um, uh, the current fad is um, is every bit as authentic and advanced as some sixteen year olds. And you know it would make much more sense to have those guys working together. So, you know, if we could move towards a system where there is a, an individual education plan for every learner, you know, an IEP for every learner and the technology leveraged to be able to deliver that so that the role of the teacher is not to uh, deliver one set of content to a, a whole bunch of kids at the same time, but to introduce that to each kid at the most appropriate stage in their in their development so personalized plans personalized uh, journeys through the content all arriving at the best possible outcome for each child that's absolutely possible with the technology but you know politically and socially would be hugely difficult yeah it's really cool i've been reading a bit recently about how um ai can assist uh, assist what you're talking about really by uh, data analytics and and seeing how 
how kids are using yeah. these tools, how they're learning um, when they're independently learning, and then using that AI technology to kind of to, to play on that. Do you see? Do you see yeah. that as something that could happen in the near future? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to. AI can be used and misused, yeah. right? And there's a lot of ways that it could um, it could go badly wrong in the in the wrong hands, but it could be a force for good. And um, I don't know if you've ever used Duolingo. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but that I think is a really good example of machine learning being used for um, a positive uh, outcome, where it doesn't ever feel like you're being uh, manipulated into certain parts. You are going at your pace. There's the repetition and reinforcement that um, that helps the learning stick. There's the intrinsic motivation of the rewards you get along the way. Um, it's been well thought out, I think, and um, I, you know, I hope I'm not being naive, and they're not just collecting masses of data to try and sell things to people. But um, it feels to me like that's a model for how this can be done quite well. Um, there aren't many companies, though, that I would necessarily trust to do that without some kind of ulterior motive. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, I love how before we went live, uh, you said you weren't gonna you were gonna try and not go too dark. Uh, I think I think we reached some pretty dark areas there. I, I've had to turn all my lights on in the whole of my office. Um, I'm spare. I thought this was really upbeat. Guys. <laughs> no, it was. It was, and I think although you've taken us down those avenues, you've also um, you've also shown us the benefits of cloud technology and and, and how. I guess with with all of this stuff, it can be it can be used uh, by people in certain ways, and it and it depends on the people or the companies that are using it. Uh, but hopefully, um, educators, teachers around the world who've got the best interests of their students um, will be using these tools in the right way and will help impact the future of of educational technology. I mean, all teachers have the, you know, unless very occasionally I come across somebody who's been doing it for a long time and has become jaded. Um, And, you know, we've got a problem with retention and turnover of staff in the school system, not just here, but in many developed countries. So there is a problem there. But, all teachers go into it for the right reason and yeah. uh, want to want to improve the life chances of the kids in their care. Uh, and I think it's unfortunate that they, they have to do this in a system which, as I say, isn't giving them the resources to do it properly and is measuring them against um, you know, what can be quantified and what can be measured rather than what's important and where uh, is then used as a stick to beat them with. So it's a shame that, that teachers have to operate in this environment Nevertheless, they want to do the best for their kids, and you know there has to be some kind of way of squaring the circle here. I think. Yeah, uh, I can't believe it was it was May last year that we last had you on. I feel like we should maybe have you on like every month just to kind of bring us back down to earth and show us the or bigger every picture. May, or every May. Every May, yeah. yeah every May. <laughs> uh, Mark, thanks for coming on again. Uh, it's been a pleasure to chat with you as it always is, and um, enjoy your your camper van holiday in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm. I will go off grid for some other time. I'm actually going back to, um, you know, in, in the off grid kind of um, decoupling from the constant connectivity, which is the modern world. I've, I've gone back to looking at some, you know, just so pretentious. But I've gone back to look at some uh, kind of 
Greek philosophers and other thinkers from the past, and they've got some stuff to teach us. These guys, are, how pretentious is that? Well, yeah, they're quite good. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, looking at the, the teachings, the, the writings of Epicurus and the Stoics is incredibly pertinent for the modern world, uh, because as well as the move towards greater integration of uh, of technology, which is kind of inevitable and could be could be done well or could be done badly, we've we've all got to, I think, get better understanding of what makes us content, what makes what drives us on. Um, and, and that comes from, you know, self, self-awareness and self-knowledge, which is in short supply these days. I mean, you know, just look at our politicians. There's a massive lack of self-awareness in so many of those guys. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, we can learn from, from the past as well as the, the contemporary stuff. And, you know, my, my ideal would be taking the best bits of both and, um, you know, moving it all on. So we, um, we leave the world a better place than we inherited. Definitely, and you, you'll get no arguments here if you're talking to two philosophy teachers. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and a PE teacher. And a PE West teacher, West. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what Epicurus said about the long jump was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Allen, thanks very much. Thank you. A pleasure as always, guys. Cheers, Mark. Amazing to have Mark Allen back on the podcast. Some of the weird and wonderful and dark places he goes to in those conversations. Uh, yeah, but uh, inspirational. Yeah, totally. One of my favourite people too. Don't forget, you, you can get uh, in touch with Mark and you can find out all about what he's doing uh, as well as loads of other guests and exhibitors and other teachers at our Summit Awards on the 12th of July. Don't forget to book on there, www.edgyfuturist.com forward slash summit 19 and you can uh, you can come and be part of that event in the north yeah, yeah. you can find it on twitter at edge of futurist or on facebook uh facebook forward slash edge of futurist that's the one facebook i love it <laughs> facebook doesn't even exist <laughs> all right another episode over see you next week yeah. see you boys bye bye